The resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in every person's life. The resurrection of Jesus can make a difference in your life. See, that's what I want to talk about this morning, and I'm tempted, actually. It's really hard not to try and give you everything there is to give about Easter. I mean, I do get to do it every year, but there still is the temptation of just backing my truck up and dumping the whole load on you. Because it is a whole truckload of good news because of Easter. I'm tempted, I have to say, I'm tempted uh, to do my best CSI Jerusalem impression and show you the facts about the grave and the empty tomb so that you can see beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is in fact raised from the dead and the grave is empty and that you don't have to question that intellectually. But I'm not going to do that. I'm tempted, as we have already sung, to talk to you about the cosmic implications of the resurrection of Jesus. To talk about how amazing it is that we no longer have to fear death because, in fact, death has no hold on those who are identified with the risen Jesus. Or to say we have no longer to fear any darkness because the devil's work is destroyed. Or to say that sin doesn't have to have any power over you because Jesus has broken the power of sin, the cross and resurrection. And for the most part, we talk about that kind of thing every week here at New Life Church, so I'm going to leave that alone too. What I do want to talk to you this morning about is in some respect the simplest of things. I want to narrow the scope of the resurrection and its implications down to the implications that it has for individuals. I want to talk about the difference that the resurrection of Jesus can make for you. And the difference the resurrection of Jesus makes for one person at a time as they come to know Jesus who was resurrected. And I'm going to do that this morning by talking about three people that did just that. That met Jesus after He raised from the dead. Mary, Thomas, and Peter. And their stories are recorded in John chapter 20 and 21. So if you want to, if you have your Bible and want to turn to John 20, 21, you can do that to get the whole story. There is way too much there for me to read the whole thing. So I'm just going to read a, a, a tiny bit of the conversations that they have with the risen Jesus. So I'm not going to read much of it, but you can look at the whole thing if you'd like from John chapter 20. As you know, this begins uh, on what we refer to as Good Friday. When Jesus was 
betrayed and then tried and then crucified and then buried. And He was buried really just across the garden from where He was crucified. And the people who saw Him crucified saw Him be put into that grave. And then they went home. And then it was the Passover. The Sabbath. The time when you don't do anything, but you reflect. And they reflected on what it would have meant to them that Jesus of Nazareth, the One who came to give life, the One who brought peace, the One who loved them, was gone. He was crucified. And He was buried. Well, there was one person in particular for whom that uh, rested on her in an awful way. Her name was Mary. And so, the first day of the week, once the Sabbath was over, she got up early before it was even light. And in the darkness, made her way to the tomb where she saw Jesus had been laid. And she was uncertain how she might go about uh, rolling the stone away so that she might uh, bring spices for uh, His body. It was much to her surprise then that once she got there, she saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And she was able to, to look in and she looked in and there was no body there. And she immediately panicked. And ran, turned around, ran back to all the disciples and said, they have taken the Lord. This was, not a, this was not a report about how wonderful the resurrection of Jesus was. This was a report that in fact somebody had taken His body. She told them, and then John records for us what I think is uh, actually the most hilarious foot race in the entire Bible. Where John, who wrote the book, wants to make sure without any question that we know that he was faster than Peter. And he got there before Peter did. And he stood outside the tomb, it says, and Peter went right in. And he saw the grave clothes on both sides there of uh, the tomb. And then John went in. And John tells us that he believed. And then what? And then they went home. That's all. Jesus wasn't there. They didn't know what to make of that. So they went home. But Mary, Mary who had been the first to discover the empty tomb, stayed. And the text tells us that she stayed weeping. She was weeping. I want you to think about this for a minute. The first person to discover the empty tomb, the first person to report the body of Jesus wasn't there, stands now at the grave by herself weeping. Why would Mary weep? Have you ever thought about that? Mary, we don't, we don't know much about her. She's called Mary Magdalene, which means she is from the town of Magdala which 
doesn't tell you anything at all. It was just a little pit stop uh, somewhere on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps there was a McDonald's there and Jesus stopped there on His way through. But that's about how interesting it was. The only significant thing we know about Mary comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 when she was traveling with, with Jesus. And she's described this way. Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene was with them, the one from whom seven demons had been cast out. And that's all we know about her. Could you imagine if that was all there was to write about you? See, I think that I think even the number seven is there. I don't know that they were, you know, they were like had soccer jerseys on and were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How how would you know seven? I think you'd know seven. I think he said seven because seven would be the number of completion. In other words, there were so many demons that she was just completely filled with them. Or to say it another way, that the darkness that Mary experienced was complete. The darkness that she had lived in year after year after year could not be any darker. That's what Luke is describing for us. And so if you're a modern person and you want to call it mental illness or you want to call it psychological disorder or you want to give some other label to it, that's, that's your business. You can do that. Because when she met Jesus, It was gone. Jesus had freed her from the darkness. From the voices in her head. From the haunting of her past. Perhaps even from the trauma that she had experienced. And so, she had been with Jesus. And the next time we see her, she is at the cross watching Jesus hang there. Then she watches Joseph put Jesus' body in His tomb. And then she stands there weeping. Now, why would Mary weep? I think she loved Him. I think she knew He loved her. But I think beyond that, I mean, Jesus' ministry was only three years long. And Luke chapter 8 is probably about in the middle. So about 18 months prior to this, she had been in the darkness. She had only seen the light for just a short time. So it was very easy for her to look over her shoulder and see the darkness approaching. When the One who delivered her had Himself been overcome by the darkness, So now she stands at His tomb. And I think this is why she's weeping. She's wondering what will become of her when the One who delivered her didn't deliver Himself. Would His disciples take care of her? 
what would happen next. And so she stood there weeping. And as she wept, she bent down and she looked in and saw that the tomb was empty like Peter had seen, except for the fact that there were two angels in there who spoke to her and said, Woman, why are you weeping? She explained that she didn't know where Jesus' body was. And as soon as she said this, John records that having said this, she turned around. Perhaps it's one of those things where you feel someone behind you, you know, and and she turned around and Jesus was standing there. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. I don't know why she didn't recognize him. Perhaps the tears, I don't know. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Isn't that beautiful? Just couldn't have been simpler. Mary. And when she heard that, she she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I imagine that she threw her arms around him. And he said, wait, wait, wait. Don't cling to me, for I've yet ascended. I've not yet ascended to my Father. But I must. But go to your brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so here's Mary, fearing the onset of the darkness, only to turn around at the sound of her name. As Jesus calls her. And John tells us earlier, My sheep hear My voice. And Mary heard His voice and turned. And He said, Don't cling to Me because I'm going to My Father. And John tells us earlier too in His his Gospel that it is better if He goes than if He stays because if He goes, He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so the darkness that she was in dread of would never be a problem because the Holy Spirit was going to come and keep her. Go and tell my brothers. And so she did. And she went and told them. She didn't tell them this time somebody stole in the Lord. This time she goes and she says, I have seen the Lord. In the first person to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus is this woman with the dark past. The first person to bear Christian testimony, you might say. The first person to bear the story that in fact Jesus was alive was someone who could not even talk about her past. And then... John goes on to tell us that later that night, the disciples were all gathered together. They were afraid. (laughs) Mary was afraid because of the darkness. They were afraid because of the soldiers. But they were gathered together because out of 
out of fear and locked the doors. And Jesus appeared in the midst of them as though we had walked through the wall or walked through the door. And His first words are, Peace be with you. I'm telling you, if I was there and Jesus appeared from nowhere or He walked through the wall, I would need somebody to say, Peace be with you. Because I would not be okay with that. And he said, Peace be with you. And then He said, As My Father sent Me, so I send you. And He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And He said, Go to Galilee. And then it tells us there's, there's one little detail that you must know. All the disciples were on the text group that called the meeting. Except for some reason, Thomas didn't look at his phone. And he missed it. And so Thomas missed the meeting. And as soon as the meeting was over, they all went out and in the course of the next week, they'd run into Thomas and they said, Hey Thomas, we've seen the Lord! Thomas says, yeah, right. I don't believe you. You're kidding me. I won't believe it unless I see the marks in his hands and I put my hands in his side. Other than that, I'm not going to believe it. And then John records that eight days later or the next Sunday, the first day of the next week, His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked again. And again, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now imagine Thomas. See, you'd missed the first part, right? This is, this is a thing that apparently happens every week. And Thomas missed the first time. And it was important to Thomas, though, to have the proof. See, a lot of us are like Thomas. We won't, we'll only believe it if. We don't want to believe it because we have to have some kind of verification. I think Thomas was the engineer of the bunch. He wanted the data. We don't know much about Thomas. He too only appears a couple times. He appears in John chapter 11 when Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. And all the disciples said, Jesus, don't go, don't go. They'll kill you if you go. Jesus said, well, I'm going anyway. Thomas said, fine. Let's all go with Him and die together with Him. He's a realist. He knows, what, he knows how things work. People don't just rise from the dead. That's not real. Well, you believe I have proof. Thomas shows up again in John chapter 14. This time is, this is where Jesus said, it's one of the great promises of heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself. That where I am, there you might be also. Thomas, for some reason, hardly registers that promise. Thomas says, um, Jesus, uh, we don't know where you're going and so 
How can we come along? I mean, be real, Jesus. I need more information. And here we see him again now in John chapter 20. And he needs more information. I will not believe unless I see his hands and put my hand in his side. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So I think for the most part, all of us are like Thomas. All of us think that we can't believe because we don't have all the information. That we have some doubt, therefore we can't have belief. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is inviting him to believe even when he doubted. That the challenge is in the face of doubt to believe. If there's no doubt, it's not hard to believe. And so Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And so the the challenge for Thomas was not whether or not the facts now were adequate. See, it's interesting here. He didn't reach out. He said, I need to touch his, his wounds, right? I need... He never did. Just, bam, he saw him. Done, I believe. And he said, my Lord and my God. I think the whole story of the resurrection is meant to get us to that confession. That Jesus is no ordinary person. That Jesus is Lord and God. It's the only time in this Gospel that Jesus is called God. In fact, the whole, I think the whole Gospel of John is, to, is told, the story is told to bring us to the point of us recognizing with Thomas that Jesus is in fact God Himself. And some of you, I'm sure, are good Thomases. Good Thomases who say, well, yeah, that's fine for him. He was there. He at least was there the second time. You know, Jesus never walked in on me. Okay, first of all, be glad he hasn't. Second of all, Jesus anticipated this, right? This is no surprise to Jesus. He said, have you believed because you have seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those like you and like me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so right where, right where Thomas was, Jesus met him. The very thing that Thomas needed in the depth of his soul was some kind of assurance that everything he'd been giving his life for to follow Jesus had not been for nothing. 
mean, here he had given up everything. He had followed this itinerant rabbi. And for, to what point? For no point. That's where he was. And he was full of doubt. And Jesus came and he believed. And so, if Mary is weeping in fear that the darkness is hovering behind her, ready to crash in on her, and Thomas is cowering in a locked room, unsure that resurrections could ever happen. Jesus went to both of them to meet Mary in her tears and Thomas in his doubt. And then, the story continues in chapter 21 where it says that Jesus appeared to the disciples again. Now, this time, this time, Peter was, Peter was tired of it all. And he'd, he'd been a fisherman his whole life. And he said, fine, I'm going back to fishing. And several of the others said, we're going with you. And they all went on a fishing expedition to the Sea of Galilee. And they fished all night and caught nothing. And there was at the break of dawn then a man in, on the shore who'd started a little bonfire. And he hollered out to the fishermen in the boat. He said, Hey boys, catch anything? They said, No. Okay, then. He said, how about if you try throwing the net on the other side of the boat? Okay, these guys have done this their whole life, right? They know how water works. See, I mean, think about that. Okay, if the fish aren't over here, just putting your net over here isn't going to do it. But they said, okay. They threw the net over. It's not going to take as long to do that. Get him off our back. And all of a sudden, their net was full. All of a sudden, they were all straining. The boat was listing to the side. And they had this little discussion there in the boat. And John said to Peter, Hey, I think it's the Lord. And Peter could hardly believe it. And he threw his coat on and he jumped in the water. And he ran through the water. To, uh, to, to the shore. You see, it didn't take much for John to convince him. Because they'd seen this before. When Jesus first called Peter and Andrew and James and John, He had done this very same thing. He'd said, boys, throw it on the other side. They threw it on the other side and they hauled in this great catch of fish. They recognized this is one of Jesus' best tricks. And so they ran. He ran through the water to Jesus. And he came up soaking wet to the charcoal fire that Jesus had built. It's not incidental that Jesus was there cooking breakfast around a charcoal fire. Because the last time that Peter 
had seen Jesus was also beside a charcoal fire. It was a charcoal fire outside of the high priest's house. It was his fire pit around which all of the servants were warming themselves. And one little servant girl came to to Peter and said, you were with him, weren't you? And Peter said, no, 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 not me. And they talked about it and they said, Peter, we, you were with him. I can even tell by your accent that you were, that you're from Galilee. He said, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. And yet a third time somebody said, I think you're one of them. And he began to curse and he said, I don't even know the man. One of the Gospels records that at that moment, Jesus locked eyes with Peter. And Peter ran out and wept. This made him worse by the fact that Peter had been the one, right? Who said, even if everyone else denies you, I never will. See, Thomas had his doubts and Mary had her fear. But Peter had his failure. Peter had guilt that he couldn't deal with on his own. And he came to the charcoal fire and he saw Jesus and they had breakfast and they counted the the fish. And, you know, Peter had jumped out of the boat and he'd run to Jesus. And I think probably as the water splashed around him, he began to say, wait a minute. Do I really want to talk to him? What is he going to say to me? I think think he'd been around Jesus enough to know that Jesus loved him. But he couldn't shake the fact that he'd already failed Jesus. (laughs) And see, I think we make everything so simple, right? That either Peter wanted to see Jesus or he felt so guilty he didn't want to see Jesus. But I think the reality is that probably like most of us, he wanted to see Jesus and he didn't want to see Jesus at the same time. That there was this mix of guilt and hope as he came to Jesus. Knowing that the only way that the burden of his failure could be lifted would be if, in fact, he was reconciled to Jesus. Jesus knew this too. And so after talking fishing stories and everything, and eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love? 
love me. And here, those next words give us a window into the way that this worked when Peter met the resurrected Jesus. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. The third time. He knew the third time, didn't he? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know. The third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In the depth of the forgiveness, in the certainty of the the restoration of Peter, was every bit as big as the failure and the guilt. It's so easy. It's so easy to say, it might work for those religious people. It might work for all those other people. It won't work for me. I've got this big failure. I'm not, I'm not all that. That's exactly what was going through Peter's mind as he approached Jesus. And Jesus restored him. And Jesus will restore everyone who comes to Him like Peter did, seeking restoration. See, this is really amazing when you string all three of these together because Mary was at the tomb weeping. And Jesus came to her. Thomas was in the locked room doubting. And Jesus came to him. And Peter was around the charcoal fire, overwhelmed with his guilt, yet holding out some shred of hope that Jesus would in fact restore him. And Jesus took him aside and restored him. See, there's, there's no magic thing that you need to do to encounter the risen Jesus. There's no, there's no magic words you need to say so that He somehow says, oh, you got it right. I'm going I'm to accept you. You don't have to go somewhere or do something that's going to make Jesus accept you. The reality is, Jesus comes to you. He can do that because He's alive. And when He comes to you, He can meet you right where you are. In your fear. In your skepticism. In your guilt. When you're worried that the darkness is closing in? When you can't figure out how it could possibly happen? When your failure overwhelms you? Jesus comes 
to you. And when he comes to you, the the Gospel of John has been written. The, The account of Jesus' resurrection has been written so that you might believe that Jesus is who He said He is. That He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in His name. He gave life to Mary in the midst of her fear. He brought life in the closed room to Thomas. Even when he was doubting. And he brought life to Peter in spite of his failure. And so he gives you the invitation. In fact, he comes to you. The risen Jesus comes to you and offers you life. Will you believe Him? That's really your question. You see, the beauty of it is, I could have talked about the evidence of the resurrection because it is true. You can find lots of things if you just want to search is the resurrection true online. I mean, you find all the stuff you need. I could talk about the cosmic implications, but the reality is it is because Jesus has conquered the death death and sin and Satan that He can offer to you the restoration and the healing that He brought Mary and Thomas and Peter. And these things have come to you this morning that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we're really here in search this morning of life. That's That's the very thing that the resurrection promises. Life from the dead. So Father, I I just pray for each person here. Whether they feel the fear or the doubt or the guilt or some measure of all of it, Father, I pray that they might encounter the risen Jesus this morning. And that they might trust Him to deliver them to give them life and freedom. And Father, would You be kind to us and gracious, meeting our needs, calling us by name like You did Mary, that we might find life. And I ask it in the name of our risen Savior Jesus. Amen.